And today, today, we're going to talk about motivation. All right, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Welcome back to Michael Sano has a podcast, has a podcast. I have a podcast because I am Michael Sano. What's going on? Um, in my last episode, episode number one, so this is episode number two, yay, follow through. Um, I was telling you guys about how um, I'm at the University of Florida Part of my research, I'm in a master's program at uh, at the Health and Human, the College of Health and Human Performance, or the School of Health and Human Performance. And my baby is sports slash performance psychology. So I was literally just just on the phone with my advisor, who is also a uh, sports psychology professional. And he said something to me that was phenomenal. He gave me the biggest props. Um, he said, wow, you're a researcher. Because of the way I was looking at something, um, he just said that. He said that to me, and that was the biggest compliment. Because um, I pride myself in the information that I give you guys is not something that's subjective at times it will be subjective don't get me wrong but most of the time i'm going to try to attempt to back it up with uh with research that i've done with peer-reviewed articles and stuff like that so i'm going to try to give you the straight dope i'm going to try not to you know give you well i like wheat bread better than white bread so um i actually do though so <laughs> and i will fight for that um, anyway, so what are we talking about today? We're talking about motivation. Um, motivation, something that just about everyone struggles with, but ironically, it's something that you use. It's a tool in your, uh, psychology, psychological skill set that you use every day. Motivation is, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't get it wrong. It is, um, it is, no, that's actually something else I wrote down. So you caught me. Uh, motivation is basically, uh, what compels you or impels you to complete a goal task or behavior. What is it that motivates you? What is it that pushes you to do something? Now, in order to understand that, we do have to uh, have to look at what I wrote down, and that is the definition of a goal. And the 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 definition, the the academic definition of a goal is something um, that an individual is trying to accomplish, or a group is trying to accomplish, and. That could be anything. That could be make sure you take out the garbage. So it's important to understand goals encompass everything in the same way that motivation permeates everything. Wow, that's a good saying. I'm going to have to write that down, put that in a book. Now, one of the biggest misconceptions is that, especially in fitness or in personal life goals, is that individuals have no motivation. 
And my research specifically ties into that, uh, my directional motivation. Um, and I'll talk about that a little bit to the end. But first, I want to cover I want to cover a little bit, just a little bit of the history. The history is this is basically the history. And this is what's called the Oxford Handbook of Sport and Performance Psychology. Normally, a handbook is small. Uh, this is not a handbook. And I told my advisor that, and he laughed. Um, he just giggled. So yes, we, uh, we don't do anything halfway around here. So, um, so I want to cover a little bit of the, uh, the foundations. Okay. We're going to, we're going to hit a little bit of history. So performance, the, the, Looking into the dynamics of performance and sports psychology started in a really, really weird place. It actually started in a, if I'm getting the, uh, the school wrong, please put it in the comments and correct me. Um, I will also correct myself in the next video if I, if I realize anything's wrong or if you guys pick up on anything, but the roots of it all go back to, uh, go back to Harvard and the school of occupational psychology how weird is that so occupational psychology is or was the study of psychology motivational psychology in the workplace how do we get our workers doing the things that they need to do how do we get them to accept the demands that we put on them uh, same kind of concept in the military which is some of my background so how do we get a soldier or sailor to do something um, that maybe they don't want to do? How do we get a worker to do something maybe they don't want to do? What's interesting is as that was developing, there was something else also developing, and it was Abraham Maslow and his, you may have heard of it, his hierarchy of needs. Now, I'm going to probably tick off a large group of people right now, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I wrote an entire paper on it, so I'm okay with that. Um, I don't subscribe to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I tend to think that it is bunk. Um, I'm going to have a sip of coffee and I will explain to it, explain it to you uh, after. Hold on. All right. I got juice up for this, so I'm going to need it. So Maslow... Abraham Maslow was a brilliant guy and he was a very creative thinker. And that's important because so I'm going to give you a little bit of a segue just to get you to understand. So I read this interesting book called Moonwalking with Einstein. Uh, I was trying to enhance my memory and this guy was a writer. I think it was a writer for the Wall Street Journal. And uh, he went and looked at these memory championships that everyone was looking at. And uh, he found that's where the uh, the something house, and if you remember what it is, put it in the comments. And basically what you do is you put all these things in this imaginary house in your head. You place them, and that's how you can mem memorize things in order. I am totally paraphrasing. Um but in the book, they talk about the history of memory and what was important about memory within the social consciousness up until the turn of the 20th century. And your intelligence 
was based on your ability to rotely memorize things. So that was such a big signifier of intelligence. Um, going all the way back to the Greeks. Um, why does that pertain? Now, the reason that pertains is because Maslow had all of these amazing creative forces uh, personified in individuals around him at the time, doing all of these dynamic things. And I don't just mean it was the time of Woodrow Wilson, whether you like him politically or not, he was a dynamic force. Germany also had um, their schools of thought. Uh, New York had it, and, and 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 what was going on at the time? Einstein physics was was uh, exploring the universe, um, and psychology was doing the same. Psychology was really getting its due academically um, at the time because psychology in the past had always had to deal with. Uh, the medical world saying, well, that's just not really an issue. So psychology wanted to push the boundaries. And that's where Pavlov, you know, the Pavlovian response and all of that, that's that time frame that I'm talking about. He lived during this time frame. Now, because of this, um, Maslow saw to him from his perception, if you were creative, if you were a um, what would be considered a mental giant like Einstein, uh, Mark Twain, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. You had all of these great uh, creative abilities, or you were a scientist, like uh, pick someone, you know, Marie Curie, uh, someone. Um, you were put on this hierarchical order, hence the hierarchy of needs. That hierarchy, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming. I'm not saying that it's written in stone that that's how he thought. But I assume that he established hierarchies because of um, his ability to, uh, not his ability, because he saw that these individuals were great. And he thought that you needed to follow the path uh, of these people. Now, it's problematic because he didn't have much use for the masses. He only had use for those at the top. And I don't subscribe to that. I think that everyone, and one of the things that I was talking to uh, a, a couple of people about this podcast is in the future, I want to have guests on. And I want to have everyone on. I We were at the Ever Ready Diner in Hyde Park. And my wife and I were eating. And our waitress was an awesome girl who is a gymnast, um, and she's in college right now. And I want to interview her. I'm not going to tell her, tell you guys her name because I don't know if she's coming on, and I don't know if she'll want people to know who she is. But my point is she's someone within this social sphere that is successful. She's an accomplished high school athlete. She is now in college and she's going to go on to become a phys ed teacher. That's someone to me who's as successful as the most self-important politician, the most uh, taxed <laughs> mentally academic, um, the individual who decides to leave their job 
and become a stay-at-home parent or a stay-at-home mom. Those people are successful to me, and I want to find out how they're able to maintain that success. Now, they may not be successful in everyone else's perception, but I kind of want to change that perception because not just for stay-at-home parents, but for everyone. Um, so I'm going to tell you an interesting story. We were talking about in the military, you have to be promotable, okay, or advance, or your contract gets cut short. So let's say you're, you're an E4. And you're the best truck driver in the Army or the Marine Corps or the Navy or whatever. Or the Air Force. Didn't leave you out. Sorry, guys. Um, <clears throat> you're the best truck driver. That's all you want to do. You don't want to be in charge of the guy who runs all the trucks. But damn, if you don't take care of your truck and make sure that your missions are always accomplished and successful. To me, that's success. That you didn't go and strive for more, that's okay. That's the success that you wanted inside your sphere. And I want people to start feeling okay with that. I want people to not have regrets um, and to see the success in their everyday lives. And I think part of that is taking Maslow and disregarding Maslow. Now, Maslow was simplistic, and that's actually one of the arguments about it is that, and, and I am giving a brief overview. I probably will do an episode because I'm going to get so much heat over Maslow's hierarchy of needs that I'll need to go into it and pinpoint point by point why I have issues with it. Um, I think that it's problematic. That's my stand on it. If you support it and it works for you, then keep using it. There's no problem with that. But I think that the things that he omits and his, this is going to be interesting, his simplicity in his complexity, because it's also overly complex. And there's an adage in research science that if there is a simple answer, then that answer has to be wrong. And I actually, uh, one of my professors, Dr. Mani, uh, we were doing research methods, which is an amazing class at the University of Florida. Go, Dr. Mani. Um, um, she challenged that just like I did, that things don't need to be so complex in order to be academically valid. And I think that Maslow is falls underneath that to some degree, that complexity that's problematic. So the triangle that everyone's seen where you have to, it, it, you do this, then you do that, and then you accomplish this, then you need to accomplish the other goals. And at the top, you become this Nirvana-esque type of mental giant. Um, I don't think that that's required to be successful and to live a fruitful life. And that is a simplistic model, but what goes into each of those levels is entirely too complex. Um, now that I've excoriated Maslow, uh, ripped him to shreds, I apologize again if I've upset anyone. Um, I need to move on to this monster 
which is the handbook. And there is a, a model, a theory for how motivation works that's come about later on. There are a bunch of different models for motivation um, that have come out through the years, but the one that's that stood the test of time recently is uh, is Deci, I think I'm saying that right, D-E-C-I, and Ryan's um, SDT, and it is self-determination theory. Uh, I always remember SDT, so have you ever remembered an, acro an, an acronym and gone, the hell does that stand for? Um, Self-determination theory, which I think on its base is amazing. Um, it has, I think, 40, 30 or 40 years of research behind it. Um, but then that brings up for me, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Um, not Detchy and Ryan. I'm not calling you guys stupid. Sorry. Um, but keep it simple. I... I, 40 years of research adds layer and upon layer, upon layer, upon layer, upon layer, and starts to make motivation too cumbersome. You're like, it's, it's like, I don't know if you know what the Winchester house is, but out in California, uh, Winchester, Sam, is it Sam Winchester's daughter? Uh, built this enormous house called the Winchester house. And she was afraid of uh i don't know eternal damnation or something because of all the uh winchester firearms that had killed individuals over the years the decades that they had been around at that time so she built this house for all these restless spirits um but they were they, it, it had doors that went to nowhere um unusable rooms um and that is kind of how I feel self-determination theory is. It has some really good points, but over time it's become a Winchester house and it's become the one, it, 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 it lacks the one metric that I think is required. And that is applicability. It has to be applied. You have to be able to use it. And if you can't immediately use it or quickly reference it, in order to give yourself direction. So I'm going to give you something interesting. I am not, okay, I'm going to have another sip of coffee because this one's going to be a little uh, interesting too. So hold on. So I'm going to tell you something. Um, why is religion persistent for so long? Because <coughs> religion gives you, for the most part, um, definitive answers. I do this then I need to do this. If I did this, which is a bad thing, then I need to do this. In order to do good things, I need to do this. So religion gives a very, at times, simplistic, it, it gives very simplistic guidance in directing you towards, um, towards what can be called within the confines of that religion, appropriate behavior. It also defines inappropriate behavior and it gives you sort of like a barricade to operate within. It, it fences you in a little bit. And for some people that's problematic, but for some people that's tremendous because, um, what it does is it gives you immediate guidance. Okay. 
Now, Detchy and Ryan and self-determination theory does not give you immediate uh, um, immediate guidance, and that's problematic. Um, and uh, self-determination there is also not a, uh, not a religion, but what's important to understand is that both of these are attempting to direct human behavior for the betterment of the individual, correct? And just as they are, mine is as well. And mine is, um, directional motivation. And in the last episode, I showed you that in my theory, uh, motivation is polar. It, it operates on either want or fear. Um, and I can exemplify that. So there are four poles, so to speak, uh, within this dynamic. So you have something called want and want can either be want for something or want against something. So let's use it Let's use running on a treadmill as an example. So if I wanted four running on the treadmill, I would say to myself, huh, I really want to get on the treadmill because I feel good when I'm on the treadmill. Um, I enjoy being on the treadmill and I love that feeling when I get off. Now, if I wanted against the treadmill, let's say I'm driving to the gym where the treadmill is and I drive by Wendy's, Burger King, McDonald's, Arby's, um, Sonic. Oh, I love Sonic. Um, and so does my son. And I'm digressing. Sorry. Um, so you would drive by and you would say, Ooh, I got to get on the treadmill, but there's Sonic. So I want against getting on the treadmill. Okay. So we've covered want four. I love being on the treadmill, one against, ooh, I want to do something other than getting on the treadmill. Now we have fear, okay? Fear is what I call one of the two primary motivators. Um, so fear four would be, oh no, if I don't get on this treadmill, I'm going to not be successful. I'm afraid that I won't be successful. And... I really want to get on that treadmill. See how want slips in there? Ha <laughs> um, But I need to get on that treadmill. So I fear for getting on the treadmill. So I do it. Now, what is fear against? Fear against is the one that we most associate with fear. And fear against is, oh, if I don't get on that, I'm going to be... Uh, if I, no, 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 got that wrong. Fear four is, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a piece of garbage if I don't get on it. But fear against would be, let's say the pain response. Okay. You want to get on the treadmill, but you know, it's going to hurt. Um, pain is a fear response. So Fear against would be, and and I feel like I'm not doing a good job explaining this, but fear against would be pain fear. So we've established that want for is, oh, I want to, I really want to do it. I want to feel good. Want against is, oh, there's Sonic. I want to do something other than it. Fear uh, for is, oh, I'm going to be a piece of garbage. And I fear the emotions that I'm going to experience afterwards. And fear against is, oh, uh, it's going to hurt so much. 
I don't want to do this. So I fear doing this. So a lot of people, you see how I did that? You see how I don't want to do this? So a lot of times we misinterpret our fears as things that we don't want to do. But if we delved a little bit deeper uh, into it, we would see that it's actually a fear. It's not something we don't want to do. Think about um, having to come clean on something that you didn't do. Uh, you probably have a fear again. Oh, I don't want to go into that meeting because I missed my deadline. You're afraid of the repercussions of that. It's not that you don't want to, it's that you're afraid and that's okay. If you address these fears, they become more manageable. And I'm going to tell you that this happened to me and I'm going to end it with this quick story. So I have for years wanted to be a scuba diver. I've wanted to get my open water certification. Um, terrified, terrified, terrified. I went down to Key West one time to start it. It was last Thanksgiving, okay? And went into the pool, put in the regulator, and had trouble breathing with it. I had a claustrophobic response. Um and was horrified. I also wear contacts. So I was terrified of taking off the mask. You have to remove the mask underwater in open water, not just in the pool and then put it back on. You have to flood the mask and then another exercise is you have to take it fully off. Terrified, terrified. I'm six foot, I think one or two. I'm over 200 pounds. I'm a big guy. I'm not really afraid of much. Um, the fear half of this doesn't really hold much credence with me because I have lived a life where things that I'm afraid of, I've just done anyways. Um, I have uh, awesome parents who instilled that in me and, and family members and friends and all that. Um, I've always chosen that path because I just thought it was more exciting. But this terrified me. So... I, again, booked another trip, did not finish my certification, only did the pool work, and then went back again uh, this past May and was down in Key West again. Found a dive outfit that I felt a little bit more comfortable. I think that had a little something to do with it. Um, and was calling the guy all the time, like, hey... I'm a little nervous. I even had the owner a little nervous now. She was like, I don't know about this guy. So I went to the pool at the hotel. We stay at the 24 North. Definitely stay at the 24 North if you go down to Key West. It's an amazing place. And it's uh, reasonably priced. But they have a saltwater pool. So I put on the mask and the snorkel. And I just stayed there for like two hours taking the mask off, putting it back on, taking the mask off, clearing it, putting it back on and did it still terrified, but felt comfortable enough to do it. So we go out and we're going to do my first open water dive. 
with uh, um, Max, my my scuba diving trainer. So we get down, and he says, "We're not going to do the open water out in the out on the reef. We're we're going to do it in what's called a canal. So it'll be a little bit easier for you." And I was like, "Okay, whatever. I don't mind doing it either way." I did, but I said I didn't. And we go to the canal, and he says, "And it's five foot visibility." So I could see like maybe uh, an arm length and a half away. So now I'm like even a little bit more nervous. What the hell am I going to do? I get down there. All I can see is him. I can't see the ends of the canal. I can't see the bottom. Terrified. But all of a sudden he goes, breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in breathe out so we get down to the bottom and he goes like this I took my mask off I counted to three I had my eyes closed then I put my mask back on then I cleared it we got back to the top he says Michael that was the best mass clearing I have ever seen. And I have to tell you, I was totally calm doing it. And you want to know why? Because I put this placed on fear on my desk and stared at it every day for a month and said, that's my fear. That's my fear. That's my fear. And then I worked hard to overcome it. And what this means is that with this concept of directional motivation, you can accomplish any goal that you want, I believe. I know that's a strong statement, but you can do that. If you want to pick up one of these, you can uh, you can reach out to me. I'm going to put them up on the website, www.candlandfitness.com, because that's who brings this to you. Oh! And I got my open water certification. Oop, and I dropped it. I dropped my open water certification. Uh, uh, uh. But here it is. Patty. Open water. Look at that. Look at that bozo. Um, I did it. So thank you, Max. Um, yeah, if you want to get one of these, reach out to me. If you want to... Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please leave them in the comment section below. And I hope I wasn't too much of a windbag on this topic. And I hope maybe it helped someone. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll delve deeper into this into this subject uh, over the over the course of this podcast. Um, and if you want to in the comments, share any fears that have gotten in your way. Share any wants that have gotten in your way. Um, and uh, cool. All right. That's it. Thanks a lot. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.